it's been a great weekend. I don't know about you guys, but we've had a great weekend. And uh, we had a group of guys, and some of y'all may be a part of this, but we have a ministry called Forge Men's Ministry where there are groups of men that gather, and uh, they, they meet together, and they want to be discipled. They want to become faithful followers of Christ. And so they've made a commitment. And, and so this past weekend, we had multiple groups that were meeting uh, up at Lake Martin and at different places and cabins and stuff like that. And so they had kind of gathered together and they were sharing where they are in this journey called life. And uh, they were sharing kind of what has happened in their life up until this point and, and how God is using those things to bring them uh, to this point. And so many of those things that we look back and that we see in our life, we think were setbacks, was actually God preparing us and setting us up for do, to do something great in the here and now and also in the future. And so a lot of times the very things that we deal with, you know, like we've been in this series, is the setbacks are actually set up for what God wants to do in our life. And so it's, it's awesome whenever we have the opportunity to, to take the time to st- sit back and just look back at our life. And then here's the thing, is share some of those struggles that we've gone through. You know, Satan loves to take what has happened in your past and he loves to use it to beat you with. He calls it secrets. We feel like we, nobody knows. And if anybody finds out, maybe they, they won't love me, they won't care about me. And the great thing about our time together, we had guys that were able to share their heart and share, you know, some of the things they had gone through. And what I love about that was God was beginning to do healing in that room. And so we had groups that were meeting all over the area, you know, and, and I love the fact that they were sharing some of the setbacks they've gone through, but they were also looking forward. And one of the things that we covered over and over is, you know what, that God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He has adopted you into his family and if, here's the thing, if you have put your faith in Christ, if you have surrendered your heart to Him, you are forgiven and you are His child. And so I think sometimes we need to be reminded of that. We go through tough times, we go through struggles, and there may be some of you in here today, you're going through a tough time, a tough season of life, but God is using it. Now I will say this, there are times that we're going through very uh, tough traumatic times, dramatic times, whatever you want to call it, but it's our choices. We have chosen those things. We choose to step outside of God's will. We choose to do things that we know do not honor Him. Now, God can work in the midst of all that. God can take anything and, and use it for His glory, but we make some poor decisions. And so it doesn't eliminate our need to make the right decisions. And so today, we're going to talk about a guy. We've been uh, looking at different characters. We've looked at Joseph. We've looked at Nehemiah. We've looked at Apostle Paul. And so today, we're looking at Noah. And so here's some lessons that maybe we can draw from Noah's life, and many of you guys are familiar with the story of Noah, and it's when no one understands your goal, when no one understands uh, what God has, has put on your heart to do, and, and when no, no one seems to understand what your, your, your target is, your goal is in life. And, and so with Noah, we know the story of Noah, Noah builds this huge ark, and we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit today, but he, he builds this huge boat, this huge ark, if you will, so that all of the animals can go on it, so God tells him to build it. And, and, and there's people around that didn't seem to understand that, you know, and gave him pushback. So let's kind of dig in. We'll kind of walk through this story of, of Noah today. But number one, it says, I must dare to be different from the world. I must dare to be different from the world. Noah was different from those around him. Look at what it says in Genesis 6, 5 through 8. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was, cons- was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them, and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Good reminder for us that the very sin that we commit, it breaks the heart of God. And so here was a, a world that had become corrupt, and everything they did, everything they thought about, was consistently evil, is what God's Word says. It says that he even regretted ever making them. It broke his heart. 
It says, And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing. And all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the, of the sky, I am sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. But Noah was different. But Noah found favor with the Lord. So everything around him is corrupt. Everything around Noah is wicked, it's evil, but Noah found favor with the Lord. And so for many of us in this room, we probably feel like, you know what, that sounds like our world today. Man, everything seems corrupt, everything seems wicked, you know, people have ulterior motives, I mean, people are always looking out for themselves, you know, and maybe we feel that same way. But the thing is, is God often places that light in a dark world. God has us there to make a difference, and he has us there so that others can see that, you know what, there's something different out there. There's something different out there. Look at what it says in Genesis 6, 9. It says, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. He walked in close fellowship with God. There was something different about him. He, he, he was willing to be different than the world. You know, and that, that's just the opposite of the way most of us are. Most of us, we want to fit in. We don't want to, be, we don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. We want to blend in. We want to be a part of the crowd. We don't want to be different. Now, there's some that want to be different. I get that. But there are many of us that we want to blend in. We want to wear what's popular. You know, and, you know, hey, if, if everybody's wearing this, it doesn't matter how stupid it looks, you're going to wear it, right? You know, that's the way we are. We want to fit in. We want to be in, in culture. We want to be in, in tune with what everybody else is wearing. A lot of times, you know, we, we have what we need, but you know what? We see that somebody else gets something. We think, well, you know what? I want a new one of those. I want one of those. We want the latest, greatest phone, right? You know, we, we always want what someone else has, it seems like. We, we want to fit in. We want to be a part of the crowd. And too often, we compromise our convictions and we compromise things so that we can fit in. You walk into a, a group of people, they're all doing something, that, you know what, you don't agree with, you have a conviction about it, but you want to fit in, so oftentimes you will blend in so that you don't stick out. But Noah was okay with being different. Noah was okay with the fact, you know what, he wasn't going to walk the way that everybody else did. He was going to be different. One of the cool things I heard this past weekend with one of the guys that shared in our group was he was talking about he had a friend, and he saw how this friend lived, and he said, you know what, man, I want, I want a marriage like that. I want a family like that. I want, you know, I want a relationship like he has. And so he saw something different in someone. And I wondered, you know, you know maybe you ought to ask yourself, do, do I have a marriage that the people around me look at my marriage and they want the marriage that I have? Do, they, do, do the people around me see that, you know what, I've got a relationship with God and they desire to have a relationship with God the way that I do? It should be that way. So hopefully there are people that are going through things in life and they look at you and they see that you have a strong faith. They see that you have strong convictions. They see that, you know what, you love your wife, you love your husband, you, know, you, you're, you love the Word of God, you love the kingdom of God, you love the church. And here's the thing, they desire to have what you have. And so, there, you know, with... with uh, Noah here, we see that, you know, and he, he lived a certain way. And I guarantee you there were people that probably thought, you know, I wish I was like Noah. I wish I walked with God the way that he does. But it says he walked in close fellowship with God. You know, one of the things that we have tried to dig into throughout this setback and, and uh, set up uh, mentality here is that really it's about an intimacy with God. And that's one of the things we were talking about with our men's group this past weekend was intimacy with God. And intimacy, just the word itself means into me see. Intimacy, God knows everything about me. Wouldn't you agree with that? God knows everything about you. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you did last night. 
He knows what you did this past week. He knows, he knows everything about you. He knows everything that you think nobody else knows. God knows everything about you. So as far as intimacy, God has done his part. He, he is able to see everything. But where intimacy comes into play with God is me seeing who God is. Is me understanding how much he loves me. Is me realizing that he can forgive me. And so the intimacy in my relationship with the Lord comes from my side of me being open to who he is. And being saying, God, I want to learn about you. I want to grow in my knowledge and my understanding. And God, I want to become more and more in love with you. God, I want to give you my life. I want to give you my, my heart. And so look at this next statement. It says, it's not about being different so that you can be noticed. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, we know people, I know people, have known people through the years, they, they want to be noticed. They want to be the center of attention. And so there are some people that say, hey, I'm just, I'm just expressing me. That's fine. I'm good with that. But the thing is, is the goal ought to be that we give glory to our Father in heaven. And there are some Christians that they want to be acknowledged. They want to be recognized. But look at what it says in Matthew 5, 16. It says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father, not you. Now, we all need an attaboy. Everybody needs an attaboy. Would you all agree with that? I mean, it's nice to be acknowledged. It is nice to be patted on the back. It's nice to say for someone to say thank you. Uh, it's nice to be recognized. I mean, those are important things, and we all have that need. We want to feel valued. All of us do. Well, God does value us, but the thing is, is as a believer, as a follower of Christ, we're not doing it just so people see us. We're doing it so that they see Jesus. We're doing it so that everything that we do... You know, they go, you know what, why is he that way? Why is he so giving? Why is he so faithful? Why is he so loyal? And it's because of his relationship with God, and therefore it glorifies our Father who is in heaven. You know, it should never be about me wanting recognition, but about God getting the recognition. One of my favorite guys that was good at that was Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow, you know, he used his platform. He used the eye black on his eyes to be able to share the gospel. You know, he, he did everything he could to draw attention to the fact that he had a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, whenever people wanted to brag on him, he said, man, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about God's kingdom. It's not about me. It's about God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And so I love the fact that he drew attention to, to what he was doing, but it was always about God. It was about his relationship with God the Father. The second thing here, it says Noah's faith set him apart from others. Noah's faith set him apart. And so here's the thing, there, there are certain things that we do that kind of set us apart, you know, and, and we can, you know, kind of make a long list of what those things could be, but it was his faith that people saw that there was something different, that God saw his faith. Look at what it says, I love the way Hebrews eleven seven in the message reads, and listen to this, this is, this is pretty neat. It says, by faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land, and he was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was, on what he was told. The result... His family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the, the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. And so what that passage is saying, there, that's, that's out of the message, and it's kind of a paraphrase, but I love the way it expresses it. But it says, you know what, he's doing something based on what God has told him that has never happened before. And so God tells Noah, hey, listen, you're going to build a ship. You're going to build this big boat. You know, and, and so I want you to understand, you, you know, you're going to do this, and there's going to be a flood. And he's like, well, what's a flood? Never had a flood before. You know, so there's never been a flood before. 
because the, the ground had been watered by water that came up from the ground. It never rained before. And so, hey, listen, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. What's rain? And so by faith, it was his faith. But here's the thing. He believed God. He trusted God. He said, God, I don't know where this is going, but God, I trust you. God, I don't, I don't, I don't know how this is going to end up, but God, I trust you. And so, so his faith set him apart. And so are you one that lives by faith or do you live by sight? I remember years ago we were in Africa uh, and we were on a, on a trip and I had a friend of mine, Ken Gallion, who's been here a couple times and spoke. We were there. He said, hey, we've got a blind evangelist from Texas that's going to be meeting us here. His name's Dean. And uh, I said, okay. And so anyway, he gets there. Well, I meet Dean and Dean does have a cane, but uh, he, would, he would end up, Dean would put his hand on someone's shoulder and, uh, and he would literally walk with his hand on your shoulder and, and I would just have, and so he and I got to be friends, so he would put his hand on my shoulder and say, hey, Dean, we've got about six steps here. We're going down, and, and I would kind of count them out to him, say, listen, we're, you know, whatever we were going through, I had to kind of uh, describe that to him. And I remember sitting there, and I said, Dean, I said, why in the world would you go to Africa? Because he didn't have anybody come with him. He rode by himself on a plane, flew by himself on a plane. I said, you know, went through the airports, got to Kisora, Uganda, where we were at. I said, why would you do that blind? He said, man, Mike, he said, God tells us to walk by faith, not by sight. And I'm like, okay, mm, he got me, you know, good. But the thing is, is he was right. And so he trusted God to get him there. He trusted God to put somebody in his life that he could put his hand on their shoulder. And he said, everywhere I've been, God's always provided. So it's awesome to see someone who trusts God like that. And so Noah, you know, he, he trusted God. His, his faith set him apart. It says, again, by faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. You know, it's not like, hey, there's, there's water everywhere. He was miles and miles from water. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. The result, his family was saved. And so here's the thing. You guys may not realize this, but we're all kin. His family was saved. We can back it up and say, hey, we're all kin to Adam and Eve. We're also all kin to the, to the family of Noah. Because everything else was eliminated but this family. So all of us in here, we're brothers and sisters. You didn't know that. We're all kin. Down the line somewhere. But because of his faith, he saved his family. His act of faith threw a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. See, the sad thing is, is there, the line is not clear always. And let me just say this. I don't believe that we're, we, we as a church should be the ones who we kind of pull away and we have our little holy huddle and, and, and we want to talk about the world and how bad it is. But I believe that the church should engage culture. I believe that we should... We should go out and engage the people that live in our community. I think that we should do everything we can to build bridges and relationships with the people that are far from God. And so that we don't sit back and we just huddle up and we just talk about how bad they are. But what we do is we, we realize, you know what, they are lost. They're in need of a Savior. And that we're willing to leave our holy huddles, if you will. We're willing to get outside of these four walls that we call a church building. And we take the church to the streets. And what we do is we go out and we not only engage the culture, we influence the culture. And if you look back through the history of the church itself, the church has been an influence on culture. The church does not hide from it. It does not flee from it. But if anything, it engages it. It influences it. And here's the thing. You start leading people to Christ. You start seeing people get their heart right with, with God. They, you let them hear the transformational message of the gospel. Here's the thing. It will change their life. Therefore, it will change the culture that is around you. And so we as a church need to have that mentality. Yet, God, we are not going to just huddle up here. God, we're going to go out. And we're going to make a difference. God, we need you to empower us. And we've got to be willing to say, God, 
use us to let them see that there is a difference. God, help us to be a witness that is clear, that there is a witness. And here's the second thing, number, number two. I must listen to God and not the voices of doubt. I must listen to God. This is what I love about, about Noah, man. He listened to God. It says, now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. And God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat with cypress wood, from cypress wood, and waterproof it with tar, inside and out. And then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat and put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper, Genesis 6, 11 through 16. And so what he did here is God speaks to him. And I love this. It says we must listen to God, not the voices of doubt. And so the tough thing I would say that we struggle with in the very beginning of that is we struggle with listening at all. Most of us in this room, there are times when I'll meet with a couple and I'll talk to them about communication. And the biggest thing that we struggle with sometimes is listening. And so I'll do a little, uh, a, a little drill or a little exercise, if you will, to kind of help them learn how to listen to what your spouse is saying. And so, but we struggle with listening, don't we? I mean, most of us in this room, we struggle with just being distracted. There's many of you, you may be on your phone right now. You know, we live in a culture that's distracted by technology. You might say, well, Mike, I was on you version. I was kind of following you with the messages. I, I get that. But oftentimes what we do is we go through life and, and we're distracted. And we don't, we don't have time to really slow down and listen to God, it seems. And so for many of us, you know, we're always on our phone. You know, it, you know, it, it, may, be, it may go off in just a second. You've got to look at it and see, well, what did it say? Oh, it said today's Sunday. Oh, yeah, yep, today's Sunday. Hey, you know what? Got enough notification there, you know, whatever it might be. You know, uh, go to church today, whatever. Hopefully you put that on there, you wake up. But what we do is that phone, we've constantly got to check that phone so we're digitally distracted. I shared an article that my mother-in-law had shared with me, with our staff and, and some, of, some of the guys in my group, that we live in an age where our children don't have parents that are engaged emotionally. The parents, and listen to me, parents, the parents are digitally distracted. The parents are digitally distracted. Now, we want to blame it on the kids, and we want to talk about the millennials, but let me just tell you this. Moms and dads, you're the ones that have helped create the culture that we have around us. And so what happens is moms and dads are digitally distracted with a phone, with a laptop, with a TV, computer, iPad, whatever you want to call it. And so our kids, we're not engaged with them anymore, and so we don't have time to listen to them, and we dang sure don't take time to listen to God. And so we get so busy with life, with technology and trying to keep up sometimes with the Joneses and whoever else is around that we don't take time to listen to our kids to find out what's going on in their life because we're too busy with our tasks or our projects or our articles or Pinterest or whatever it might be. Or Facebook. Hey, let me take another picture of Facebook. Let me, let me post something else on Facebook. Hey, let me update my, my, my photo or my, my, whatever, you know, my profile one more time today so that somebody might see my picture again today. And instead of doing all that, why don't we take the time to maybe spend time with our kids? Maybe listen to them and talk to them. Maybe instead, you know, we, of spending so much time on Facebook or whatever the social media, you know, flavor you like, instead of spending so much time on it, what if 
We'll just say, you know what, God, I want to spend some time in your word. God, I want, to, I want to hear from you. This is what I hope you guys understand. God does speak. He spoke to Noah. He still speaks to us. He has written a love letter to every one of us. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to tell you things that you need to know on how to have a godly marriage, how to raise children in a way that honors him, how to line up with him so that here's the thing, he can pour out blessings on you because God wants to bless us. But many of us, we don't, we don't take time to read God's word. We're so busy with digital distraction that we forget to spend time in this word, in this letter, in this love letter that we have. And so we don't take time to listen. But at least, here's what I love, Noah listened to God. God spoke to him. He listened. And I'll, I'll tell you this, I believe that God speaks to, to some of us. He, he says, hey, listen, I want you to go bless your neighbor. Hey, I want, you to, I want you to take a step of faith. Hey, I want you to start tithing. And, and you're sitting there going like, God, have you looked at our finances, God? Do you realize we can't afford to tithe? And God said, hey, listen, I didn't ask you if you could afford to ask you to obey me, to be obedient. And so here we, we look at Noah, and Noah says, God, do you realize that there's not any water around here, God? God, do you realize that, you know what, it's never rained before, it's never been a flood? But instead, he was what? He was obedient. He started building a ship. There's a, there's a uh, place up in Williamstown, Kentucky. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but it's called the Ark Encounter. Now, anybody in here been there? Anybody been there? Okay, a couple guys have been there. It's awesome. There's some people in the first service that have been there. Laurie and I were talking about it. We want to go to this. It's, it's, someone has built an ark. They, they've, they've literally built an ark. And it's, it was based, the, the, the original uh, text or whatever, if you will, was based on a cubit. And a cubit was the distance from your elbow to the end of your longest finger. That was a cubit. According to, you know, biblical times, that was a, a form of measurement. And, and so, so whenever they, they put these measurements in here, they translated that. And they, they think, hey, well, this is how much it might be. But the thing is, is some people's arms are longer than others. You know what I'm saying? So they're saying that the, this boat could have been anywhere from 450 long, 450 feet long to 500 and something, 516 feet long. So it's this long boat. And, and if you go to the arkencounter.com, it kind of shows you some pictures. And it shows three space shuttles sitting on the roof of this boat. That's how big it is, this ark. And, and, and so whenever you look at this and you realize, you know what, this guy began to build something that was so huge, so big, but he, he obeyed God. And so here's the thing what I love. Noah walked with and he listened to God and he obeyed God. So he walked with God. He spent time with him. He was in fellowship with him. He was intimate with him. And here's the thing. He walked with him. He talked with him. And he listened to God. And he obeyed God. Now the second part of that number two there says, I must listen to God and not the voices of doubt. And let me just say this. Some of the times, sometimes the, the voices of doubt will come in. God begins to deal with you about something. And uh, it could be anything. You know, you say, you know what, I really want to go on this next mission trip. And then all of a sudden someone says, do you know how dangerous it is in that country? Do you, you know, and you say, well, I feel like God is telling me I need to be a part of this mission trip. Do you know how much it costs to go? And so you have the voices of doubt. You have family or friends around you. Remember we read about Joseph. And Joseph had a dream, right? Didn't Joseph have a dream? Joseph had a dream, hey, listen, all of you guys are going to bow down to me, or all of your, you know, you bow down to me, and they're like, you think we're going to bow down to you? So his, his family literally said, you know what, that's not going to happen, buddy. And so whenever the, he goes to check on his brothers when they're in the field, they say, hey, look, here comes that dreamer. Here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. And so his family literally wanted to kill him because of what he said that God had showed him or, or shown him in a, in a dream. And so the thing is, is oftentimes God will reveal something to us and we, 
get the voices of doubt. And maybe it's your friends. You share with them, hey, I feel like God may be dealing with me about ministry. Really? You? You really think God has called you to the ministry? You really think God wants you to go to a foreign land and be a missionary? You really think you can afford to go on that mission trip? You really think you can afford to tithe? I can remember whenever Laurie and I were, uh, I was on staff at a church. And I, I walked in and I told Laurie, I said, hey, listen, I said, are we tithing? Because she kept the finances and she goes, kind of. I said, no. I said, are we tithing? Because you either are or you're not. I mean, it's pretty much that way. A tithe is 10%. And she goes, Mike, we can't afford to tithe. I said, baby, I said, we can't afford not to tithe. I said, not because I'm on staff at a church. I said, but we can't afford not to tithe. And she goes, well, you can do the finances then. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's a deal. And then she's like, no, I'll do them. And uh, so she wanted to do them instead. But here's the thing. We took a step, and we, we literally said, you know what, we can't afford it. But you know what, God, we trust you. And so here's the thing. God has, God has taken care of us every step of the way. And so we've got to be able to say, God, it doesn't make sense. And sometimes, I'm telling you, our family will say, you can't do this. But you've got to be willing to say, you know what? If God's telling me to do it, I can trust him. I can trust him. And so doubt comes from, fr- from friends, family. And here's the main person is yourself. Doubt will sometimes come from you. I, like I've shared it before. Whenever I felt like God was calling me into the ministry, I was like, God, I'll never get up in front of people. God, I'll never be able to do that. And there's some of you that, you know what? God is dealing with you about something. God tells you, hey, I want you to go and I want you to share your faith with such and such. And you're like, God, I can't do that. And God's saying, trust me. Some of you got, you know, God is, God is telling you to, to get involved and commit to the church. And you're like, you know, I don't know, you know, God, the last church I was at, you know, kind of burned us out. We got our feelings hurt, whatever. And so you're saying, you know, God, I don't know. God is saying, trust me. And, and so there's things that God will tell us to do that we, we begin to doubt ourselves. And, and then you say, you know, God, I can't do that. God, I'll never be able to do that. And God's saying, just trust me. Imagine Noah going, God, you want me to build what? How big? Where, I mean, where's the wood going to come from? I mean, you know, if, if you ever work with tar, anybody here work with tar? I mean, I was sitting there looking at that going inside and out. Man, he, 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 he was covered from head to toe. I mean, I can just put a little bit of tar on something on a roof, and it's like it's all over me. You know what I'm saying? So I'm thinking, he's probably going, where are we going to get all the tar? Where are we going to get all the wood? But instead, he said, God, I trust you. He says it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his, his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. It never happened before, but he trusted God. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's, that's the definition of faith. God, I trust you. I was sharing with someone just this past week and a week before where someone had, had died. I said, but here's the thing. I said, they were believers. I said, now I want you to understand. I said, we grieve because they have died. They have breathed their last. But here's the incredible promise. They just received the, what they have been hoping for. They just literally stepped into the presence of Christ. There's no more tear. There's no more pain. There's no more anything going on that they have to deal with. And if anything, we ought to be a little bit envious of where they're at. They're in heaven. And, and so we look forward to that. Here's a passage that is not in your outline, but it's probably on the screens here. It says, so we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our, our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. And what it's saying is, you know what? God, help us to be focused on eternal things. Not on this temporal stuff, not on fads, not on fashions, not on what may be going on around us that, Lord Father, we know is only just temporary. But God, help us to stay focused on that which is eternal. God, help us to stay focused on that which will last forever. 
And so we've got to be willing to say, you know what, God, help me to listen for your still, small voice. God, help me to put the distractions down. And God, help me to not listen to the voices of doubt, even my own voice. But God, help me to trust you. And then look at the third thing. It says, I must do exactly what God tells me to do. I must do exactly what God tells me to do. And let me just say this with, with point two and with point three. It will always line up with God's word. Whatever God tells you to do, it will always line up with his word. If it doesn't line up with God's word, it may not be God. You might be just hearing voices. But it will always line up with God's word. God's the word is not going to con- conflict. God's, what God tells you is not going to conflict with his word. Number three, I must do exactly what God tells me to do. It says, look at this. Look, I am the, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and, and their wives, and bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Let's drop down. That's in Genesis. Let's drop down in Genesis chapter 7 here. It says, When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with your family, for among all the people of the earth I can see that you alone are righteous. Take with you seven pairs, male and female, of each animal I have approved for eating and for sacrifice. And take... One pair of each, uh, each of the others also takes seven pairs of every kind of bird. There must be a male and a female in each pair to ensure that all life will survive on the earth after the flood. Seven days from now, I will make the rains pour down on the earth, and it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have wiped from the earth all living things I have created. So Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. So in both those passages, in, in, chapters, in uh, chapter 6 and in verse chapter seven, uh, chapter 7, we see... You know what? He obeyed God. He did everything exactly as God had told him. And there are times, you know what, I think what we do is God tells us something to do. He says, hey, listen, I want you to go give this missionary $100. And you're going like, God, you know, we really can't afford to give up an extra $100. I mean, Lord, what if I just give him 10 That's a tithe, God. Is that what you want me to do? You know what we do? We have a tendency to want to kind of take a shortcut. And I'll just tell you this. I think a shortcut will always cause us to miss God's perfect plan. God will work in anything. God will work in any situation. But sometimes we try to take a shortcut. And if you look back in Scripture, nearly every time that someone tried to take a shortcut, it did not end well for them. They missed out on some of God's blessings. So don't say, hey, you know, I'm just going to try to take a shortcut. But what we see here is he did exactly what God told him to do. And so here's the thing. There's two things that we deal with. One is direct disobedience. Direct disobedience. It's like whenever you, you, know, you tell your kids, hey, listen, I want you to do this. And they go, no. That's when you want to jack them across the room, right? But uh, just being honest, you know. Uh, so, but you, you, you show restraint. You say, hey, I'm not going to do that. And uh, I'm going I'm to obey God and I'm going to honor them. You know? And so then you give direction again and then you work within that. And if you have to, then you bring discipline. But the thing is, is direct obe- disobedience we all would agree with. God tells you, hey, listen, I want you to do this. And you go, God, I'm not doing that. You're no different than that kid that says, no. God tells you, hey, I want you to tithe. God, no, I can't. We've got too many expenses. We've got too much debt. We've got this. we got whatever. God says, hey, I want you to go on this mission trip. God, no. I'm not leaving America. I'm not leaving this country. God tells you, hey, I want you to go serve your neighbor. 
God, they don't even like me. No. And so what that is, that we would call that direct disobedience, wouldn't you? God says, hey, listen, I want you to join the church. You say, no. God, they'll, they'll want me to serve somewhere. They'll want me to help somehow. They'll, then I do have to start tithing. You know, God, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want it, so God, no. And so we would say that's, that's direct disobedience. And if it was our child, we would be so frustrated, we'd be disappointed, and we're trying to think, of, hey, how do I discipline them? How do I motivate them to do the right thing, right? And so we would call that direct disobedience. And here's another one. It's called delayed disobedience. Delayed disobedience. It's like you tell your kids, hey, listen, I want you to take the trash down. It runs tomorrow. Okay, I'll, I'll get it. And so they don't take the trash down that night. And so you get up next morning and say, hey, listen, the trash hasn't gone down. I'll get it before I leave. And uh, then the truck, you know, the, the garbage truck comes by and, and leaves. And you go, hey, listen, you didn't take that trash down. I was going to. It just came before I got down there. Well, that's delayed obedience, right? That's delayed disobedience. And, and so here's the thing. For, for any of us in this room, we've dealt with that. You know, we, we say, hey, God... You know, I'll, I'll do that, but let it be whenever I get to a certain age. God, I'll, I'll consider that whenever I get to a certain point. God, I'll do that when I can afford to do that. God, I'll do, so this delayed disobedience is still what? Disobedience. Most of us would think that if Jesus was standing in front of us and he said, Hey, Mike, I want you to do this. Most of us would think, man, I would not tell him no. But we do. And there are other things that we say, you know, God may tell me to do something, Jesus may tell me to do something, but yet I don't do it, even though I know I should do it, but I think I'll do it later, it's still disobedience. Let me tell you one of the major ones that I see. When we share the gospel, you share the gospel with someone, we often say, you know, if you will, man, put your faith in Christ, receive Jesus, you know, surrender your life to him. And so you say, well, you know, I'm not rejecting Jesus. I'm just not ready. But the truth is, you are rejecting him. And, and, and Scripture calls it out. For those who reject Christ, they bring condemnation on themselves. And, and so we say, you know, man, it's not yes or no, Mike. I mean, I'm just not ready to receive Christ. But the Bible says if you reject him, you reject him. If you receive him, you receive him. But there's not this delayed disobedience or delayed rejection is just rejection and so you might say well you know man, I, mean, I don't know if i'm ready i want to i want to sow my wild oats i want to do whatever you know and, and when i get older whenever we have kids and we start settling down then i want to try to live for god then i want to get involved in the church but here's the thing delayed rejection is still rejection delayed disobedience is still disobedience and so when we look at this we see you know what Noah did exactly what he was told so we don't take shortcuts on God. And we've got to be willing to say, God, help me to see what disobedience is in my life. And God, I pray that you would show me where I'm being disobedient. Here's number four. It says, I must never give up on the dream that God gives me. I must never give up on the dream that God gives me. Anybody know how long it took Noah to, to build this ark? A couple of months? A couple of years? Try 50 to 80 years. 50 to 80 years is how long it took him to build this ark. You think there were some negative voices? You think there were some voices of doubt going, are you sure it's going to rain? Are you sure it's going to happen? Are you sure it's going to flood? It's never done that before. You know, no, you've been building this ark. You've been working on this ark. Can't, can't you imagine your family? I mean, there's times whenever you want your kids to say, hey, guys, we need to cut the grass. And they're like, David, it hadn't even rained. Man. You know, we don't, need to, we don't really need to 
to, to, to you know, build a, I mean, we don't have to get out there and cut grass right now. It's all right. It's good. And, you know, just trying to get your kids motivated to do something that we all do. You know, but imagine saying, hey, listen, we're building an ark. We're going to build an ark, and guys, hey, every day after school, you got to come help me work on this ark. For 50 to 80 years, we're going to be building this ark for a flood and a rain that is coming. Can you imagine how discouraged he may have gotten? Can you imagine people going by and going, man, that guy, he's on that ark every day. How long has he been doing that? Man, for like 50 to 80 years, man, it's just going on and on. And so imagine the, 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 the faith that it took to stay with it. I mean, I can't imagine getting my mind around, you know, 50 to 80 years working on the same project. Lord, Lord says I'm probably ADD. Because I don't know about you guys, but there are times whenever I'm working on a project, and I'll be working on a project, and I'll walk by and go, well, you know what, I need to do that today. And then I'll walk over, and I'll, I'll start on that. And then I'll walk in the house to get something to work on that, and I'll walk by something, and I'll start working on that. And, and then by the end of the day, I'm like, man, what the heck did I get done today? You know, anybody else wrestle with that? Yeah. You know, you walk by stuff, you get distracted, and before you know it, you're... Like well, I set out to clean up the shop, man, and I didn't. I didn't even touch the shop hardly. And, and so, imagine building this boat for fifty to eighty years. That's crazy. There's another story in the scriptures that I think is a good picture. We talked a little bit about it last week, where the goal people didn't understand. Look at what it says in Luke eighteen thirty-one through thirty-four. Jesus, he's talking to the disciples. He's telling them about the goal. About what God's plan is. What God's purpose is for his life. And look at what it says. It says, taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He'll be handed over to the Romans. He'll be mocked, treated shamefully, spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day he will rise again. Look what it says in verse 34. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them. And they failed to grasp what he was talking about. And so here's Jesus who has spent years, I'm talking about years, with these guys. Jesus was born, you know, lived for 33 and a half years. You know, has lived a righteous life, no sin. And only for about three and a half years of his life did he have a ministry, but he spent it with these guys called the disciples. And so they were around him, and so he was steadily teaching them and modeling for them what it was to be in right standing with God. Daily he would pray. You know, one of the things that they saw was there was this incredible power when this man prayed, you know, that he was able to do things that nobody else could do, that nobody else could explain. They'd watched him heal the lame. They'd watched him heal the blind. They'd watched him heal the deaf. And they were like, you know what? Truly God has his hand on this man. Truly he is the Messiah, the Savior, the promised one. But the thing is, is when Jesus would tell them here, it says, man, they didn't understand. Because for them, they thought, hey, he's the promised one. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's going to save us from the Romans. He's going he's to be the conquering king that will literally put us on the throne from this point forward. But here's the thing. God had a different plan. Jesus came as a suffering servant. Jesus came as a bloody sacrifice to go to the cross to bleed out his precious blood for your sins, for your lies, for your cheating, for your, your greed, your gluttony, whatever it might be. So whatever sins you have committed, Jesus went to the cross for those, and he did the same thing for the disciples, but they didn't understand. And so they wrestled with it. They didn't understand. Peter says, Lord, you know, you're not going to die. And, and he says, hey, Peter, Satan, get behind me. 
And Peter even says, hey, Lord, I will never deny you. I'll go to the death for you. And he says, listen, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And then they, they, they literally, the guards come and they get him and they take Jesus and, and he cuts off one of the guy's ear and Jesus had to take the guy's ear and put it back on. He says, Peter, that's not the way it's going to be. Remember, there's a different goal, there's a different plan, there's a different purpose. And Peter doesn't know what to do. And he follows along, they kind of follow along in the shadows and they're kind of watching. And then, of course, Peter denies Christ. Hey, aren't you one of his? Aren't you one of those guys? Aren't you a Galilean? And he literally betrays him. He leaves him. And then they take Jesus. They beat him. They, they torture him. They drag him to the, to the, uh, the skull. They, they literally nail him to this cross. They drop him in that hole. His flesh rips and it shreds. He bleeds out his precious blood for you and for me and for the sins of the world. And the disciples did not understand. Satan thought he had, he had defeated this, this Savior. The religious leaders thought they had stopped this movement called Christianity. The way. Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And so what everybody thought had just ended. So think about this. There were many people that would come along and say, hey, I'm the Messiah. Hey, I'm the promised one. I'm whatever. But they would always end in death. But there was one, only one, that was resurrected. Only one that was resurrected. That fulfilled, fulfilled every promise that was in the Old Testament and fulfilled every promise that he gave to the disciples. And so I want you to listen to the words of the guy who, who abandoned him. Of the guy who said he didn't understand. In First Peter 1, 3-5, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It wasn't about the cross. He said, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. I love that. So here's Peter who denied him, who ran away. You think about this. Jesus is dying on the cross, and it says all of them left except for a few women. And maybe John. But they all fled. So everybody left. So Jesus knows what it feels like to be alone. He, know, he, know, he knew what it was like to see Peter walk away. But here's what Peter comes back later. He preaches on Pentecost. Man, 3,000 people are added to the church that day. He stands boldly proclaiming the gospel that changes lives. He, he, he is literally preaching this, this message that literally is bringing transformation. There are thousands upon thousands that are coming to know Christ. They're putting their faith in Christ. And he's boldly doing that in front of the Romans and in front of the, the Jews, in front of anybody. He didn't care anymore because he had been filled with the power of the living God. And it, you know what? This guy who ran away as a coward was now standing boldly before everyone. saying, man, the Jesus that you crucified has been resurrected from the dead and he offers to you eternal life. How awesome is that? You're talking about change and transformation. And so here's the thing. They didn't understand. The disciples didn't fully get it. And there are times that we will go through life that, you know what, we may want to give up on what God has for us. But I'm just telling you, we have got to stay the course and realize, you know what, God has a plan. God has a purpose. 
some of the setbacks that you have gone through, some of the things that you experienced, you think, you know what, man, I went through this. Some of that was of your own choosing, but God will take what you have gone through and he will use it to make a difference in the lives of others. He will use what you have gone through to help others find freedom. I love it when I see someone who has, who's made bad choices and maybe they've gotten involved in, in an addiction, but yet they have found Christ. They have been set free from that addiction. And here's the thing, they're able to help others find freedom. You know what we all are? We're all just beggars that have found food, man. That's all we are. We're beggars that have found food, and we're going out and telling other people where the food is at. We're just beggars. We're broken, needy vessels, every one of us. But for those of us that are believers, that are followers of Christ, we have found the greatest food of all, the bread of life. And we should be going out and offering that to anyone who is hungry for more than what this life has to offer. When I, you know, we talked about this, this whole target over here and that target, the gold, this, the centerpiece there is the gold on that target. If, we, if we're trying to hit that target, what we do is we focus on that bullseye. We focus on that, that gold circle, if you will. And if we do, the rest of that becomes peripheral. Everything around that becomes peripheral. And, and at times, we literally have to have tunnel vision. And if you look back at Noah, man, he was focused on a relationship with God. He walked with him. He spent time with him. He talked with him. He listened to him. And the same is true for us. If we will focus on who God is, if we will focus on becoming intimate with him and understand him, the Bible says, seek him while he may be found. Seek him and he will be found. But if we will seek God instead of maybe some of the electronic junk that we do, rather than social media, we say, you know what, God, I want to seek you. Rather than recognition, God, I seek you. God, rather, rather than what this world has to offer, God, I seek you. And we let that become the target of our life, the, the bullseye, if you will. But it says, focus on your relationship with God. And he'll reveal that goal. The other day when I was doing that wedding, I told that young couple, I said, hey, listen, if both of you guys will love God with everything that's in you, I promise you, you'll love each other. And so God, when we, when we focus on God, he will reveal what that goal may be, whatever it is. However, whatever God's plan and purpose for your life is, you focus on Him, He'll reveal that. Here's the second thing. And these next steps says, realize God is using the tension of life to prepare us. We talked about the bow and how the bow literally is, is the tension that releases the arrow. It's what launches that arrow. And so some of the tensions that you've gone through, even some of the struggles and the setbacks that you feel like you're going through now, you're going, God, why? And then one day you'll be on the other side of that and you'll look back and say, I know why God took me through that. I think back to David, King David, as he was fighting Goliath. And, you know, and, and he's like, hey, King Saul, I'll take care of this, this, this Philistine. I'll take care of the giant. And he goes, son, you don't understand. This guy has been a fighting man since his youth. And so what does David say? David says, hey, listen, just like whenever the lion or the bear tried to come and take the sheep away that I was guarding, he said, I'll handle this Philistine in the same way. He said, I would go and grab the bear, and I would, I would club him. I would grab him with my own hand, and I would kill a, a bear or a lion barehanded. And so what he's saying, hey, listen, I'll handle this Philistine the same way. And so some of you guys may not realize this, but the tensions and the struggles and the things that you've gone through have been preparing you for the battles that are ahead of you or the victories that are ahead of you. And then look at the last one. It says, trust God completely with your life. Trust God completely with your life. You know, I like to, I like to speak of it this way. A lot of people say, man, I trust God, but do you trust him with your life? Will you surrender your life? Will you surrender to what he desires? Will you surrender to his teaching? Will you surrender to his guidelines? Will you surrender to his word? Will you surrender in every area of your life? Because a lot of times what we want is we want Jesus and we want to get into heaven. But man, we don't want to give up anything. And we don't want to give him anything. But do we trust him with everything? Do we trust him with our life? 
We talked about, we've been talking about this target and the bow and the tension. And last week, we talked about the arrow. And so I took an arrow last week and I shared this illustration of how the spine of the arrow is what's critical. But the whole thing is, let's, let's put it all together. You know, and the goal is to, is to what? Is to hit the, the bullseye, right? Hey, man, the pressure's there, right? It's already been there. And so here's the thing. So I've been practicing trying to hit the bullseye. And I can hit the bullseye until I get in front of people. You know why? Because there's pressure there. There's pressure there. There's tension. There's a tension that builds. But the thing is, is we have to say, you know what, God, I trust you. And, and one of the things you can do is you can put a sight on a bow. You put a sight on a bow, you can be extremely accurate. But I felt like God wanted me to shoot this and just trust him. So it's called instinctive. It's called instinctive shooting. And so you're not aiming or you're not really, you know, you're not, you don't have sights or anything. And I was thinking about how that arrow, we talked about it last week, represents us. And so do we trust God to launch us towards that target? Do we trust him? And so if you hit bullseye, you know what? You hit bullseye. But if you don't, do you trust God to get you there? And I, I told somebody, I said, you know, I could just not shoot, but I'll miss every, I'll miss every time with that because, you know what, you miss 100% of every shot you don't take. So my goal is to try to hit the bullseye. But it's close, and it's close enough. And so one of the things that I, I thought about with that was, hey, you know what, it, it wasn't bullseye. But you know what, I trusted God with my life. And I'm closer there than if I'd have never pulled the trigger. And there may be some of you in this room, man, you say, you know what, man, I want to I be in the center of God's will. But you don't trust Him enough to at least let go. To release yourself in and say, God, I surrender. I fully surrender to what you have for me. Rather than me say, God, I just want you to bless what I put together. But I want to just challenge you, man, to say, God, I release myself completely to you. I surrender. Every area of my life, I surrender my finances. I surrender my marriage. I surrender my kids. I surrender everything to you, God. I surrender my career. I surrender my future. I surrender my soul. I surrender my heart. I surrender my life. And here's the thing. You just got to trust Him. You just got to trust Him. So I want to ask you, if you will, just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And you just respond as, as God leads you to. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. I hope you understand that God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. I hope you understand that God has provided the way of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. I hope you understand that if you have accepted Christ, and here's the thing, you are truly forgiven, no matter what it might be. He forgives you. If we confess our sins, if we repent of our sins, He is faithful and just, and He will literally forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so I want to ask you, have you ever surrendered? Have you ever surrendered your life, your everything, to Jesus? And if not, what's keeping you from doing that right now? What's keeping you from trusting Him completely? What's keeping you from surrendering everything to the one who loves you more than anybody will ever love you and who can bless you in more ways than you can, you can even count? And He always has your best interest in mind. And so I want to just give you an opportunity. It's a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer that can change everything. It'll change you from the inside out. You say, Jesus, I want to ask you, Jesus, will you come into my heart? Jesus, will you forgive me of the sins that I've committed? His answer is yes. So, Jesus, I want to quit living the way I've been living. And I want to turn to you. That's repentance. 
He said, I want to quit doing the things I've been doing, and I want to do what honors you, what glorifies you. So, Jesus, I want to give you my life. And so with all the faith that I have, I give you me. I release myself to you, God. I release everything, my career, my family, my relationships, my heart, my life. And so, Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I trust you to save me. If you just prayed that prayer, I want to ask you if you would just to raise your hand. Nobody's looking around, just me. I see your hand right here. Anybody else, just raise your hand. I see your hand over here. Anybody else, I see your hand there. Anybody else? It's by faith that we're saved. You can put your hands down. It's by faith that we're saved. Some of these are young people. Childlike faith. All it takes. Some of us in this room think, Mike, you just don't know what I've done. I don't, but God does. Here's the thing. Childlike faith will save you too. Childlike faith. Thank God I surrender. There are plenty of us in this room that, man, we've gone through tough times. We've gone through. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. Maybe you're going through cancer. Maybe you're going through a breakup. Maybe you're going through divorce. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Let me say this. God wants to heal you. And God wants to use you for great and mighty things. And God wants to do incredible things through you. And he'll take what you think is a setback, and one day it'll be used to serve and minister to others. Father, I thank you for loving us today. God, I thank you for the love that you have shown by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. God, I thank you for how much you love us. God, the fact that you forgive us. God, I pray that we would be a a people that, God, we trust you. I pray for us as a church, God, that we would be a church that trusts you. God, that we, we allow you to launch us into life, doing things that only you can do. God, that we would trust you to do great things through us. And so, Father, I pray that we would, as a church, Lord, Father, we would look for those opportunities to be launched into life for you. God, I pray that you'd bring up leaders here. I pray that you bring up people that have the willingness to serve, the willingness to teach. But more than anything, God, the willingness to be different from this world so that others can see you and glorify you, God. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.